So Nick, I know that you're getting off of OB and I'm actually going back onto OB nights. Um, so I'm going to be using my OBG project subscription to look at the second trimester ultrasound atlas again to make sure that uh, I know what I'm doing when I'm ultrasounding. That's right, Faye. After coming off that last rotation, it was really nice to pull my phone out of my pocket, take a look at the OBG second trimester ultrasound atlas, and really like get a sense of what was going on, what looked normal, what looked abnormal, and have a good bit of confidence that I knew what I was doing with an ultrasound probe. If you want to also have access to the second trimester ultrasound atlas like Nick and I, you can go onto our website, click on the link to the OBG project. If you're a fourth year resident, you can have a free one year subscription, which allows you to get updates every day through your email of new studies, uh, as well as practice guidelines, and also access to your very own library where you can keep the readings that you're interested in. Head on over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar and see how you can get OBG first for absolutely free as a chief resident or find out more about the OBG project. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over, over Coffee. coffee. So on today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different, um, but we're going to talk about wound healing and sutures. Um, so we hope that this covers some CREOG learning, but we also hope this covers some real life learning as you're in the operating room and trying to remember, oh, what am I picking for this? So Faye, what are our learning objectives for today? So our objectives are to review the basics of wound healing. We're going to broadly review suture materials commonly used in OBGYN surgery and their properties and applications. Of course, we can't go over all types of sutures. And of course, we'll also review some common needle types in OB-GYN um, as well as their properties and applications. So Nick, kick us off with some wound healing. I know that we get probably one or two questions about this on the CREOG every year where they ask you about what stage of wound healing is happening. And yeah, I never remember those. So let's uh, talk about what stages of healing are. Yeah. So this is one of those way back in medical school type of factoids. Um, but as soon as a wound gets created, whether it's intentional, like in surgery or accidental from trauma or whatever, the healing process is already starting. Um, there are four main stages of wound healing. The first stage of wound healing is hemostasis. So, you know, as you like make that incision and then as you're like coming back and closing, you see those like vessels that you probably cut through in the sub are all starting to spasm off and those platelets begin to stick around the injured site, forming that fibrin clot. That fibrin clot encourages more platelets to stick together to stop bleeding. And we won't go into the coagulation cascade today, but that's also part of this process here. The second step is inflammation. So again, now that we've got everything plugged up and stopped, damaged and dead cells need to get cleared out from the wound site. And so with that, the body is going to use phagocytic white blood cells um, in order to again clear out that damaged dead tissue. Platelet-derived growth factors are also going to come in here to start recruiting proliferative cells and start the healing process. Faye, what are the next two steps? So next, you're going to have a proliferative phase where basically angiogenesis and collagen deposition is going to start this off. Fibroblasts are going to provide a new extracellular matrix, and they excrete collagen. Epithelial cells also begin to re-epithelialize the top of the wound, closing over it and forming granulation tissue. 
Wound contraction then occurs last, with myofibroblasts bringing the wound together and getting additional strength. Finally, the last stage is maturation and remodeling. And in this phase, the fine-tuning, so to speak, occurs where collagen is redistributed among the tension lines. Faye, I think what's kind of fascinating about this is that this process really starts to happen quickly. You know, re-epithelialization occurs within the first 24 hours of wound formation. Mm -hmm. But wounds also only gain back about 80% of their tensile strength over time compared with undamaged tissue. Um, the important thing about wound healing, I guess, for us as surgeons is that if wounds are poorly reapproximated, all of this process is going to take a slower amount of time and potentially allow for further injury, infection, slower wound healing overall. Mm -hmm. So really kind of as we move into the next part of our podcast and talking about suture, reapproximating wounds with suture and the correct type of suture can promote healing and reduce scar formation. And just as a broad generalization for what we're going to talk about, we will be reviewing suture by material, and we're going to be using the uh, Ethicon and Covidian brand names to refer to these suture types. And then in terms of the statistics on strength and absorption, we'll be referring to the published statistics by Ethicon brand products. Um, so Nick, start us off. When did humans develop suture? Yeah, it's been around for a really, really long time, surprisingly enough. Um, the first use of suture was described back in about 3000 BC by ancient Egyptians, and then was described separately by Mesopotamian or subcontinent Indians people in approximately 500 BC. These sutures were derived from a variety of materials, and probably amongst the oldest things are some things that are still in use, you know, silk, animal materials, ultimately Gut suture will come later, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but things like tendons, arteries, muscle strips, um, plant fibers as well, all of these things could be used and attached to a sharp object that was a de facto needle um, in order to reapproximate wounds. Makes sense. Yeah, I guess like, you know, when you, when you got a MacGyver or something like that, then, you know, you just go with what you got. But cat gut suture, which was kind of the first modern suture, I guess you'd say, really started out akin to something that had this strength of like a violin string or a tennis racket string. Uh, and that was described by the physician Galen in about 200 AD. Moving forward, there really wasn't a lot of advancement in suture technology um, until the mid-1800s. People didn't even really think about sterilization of suture until Joseph Lister came around, the Lister of Listerine. Um, and he introduced what was called chromic catgut in the 1860s. Lister of Listerine, not like Lister who developed antiseptic techniques. Lister okay. of Listerine, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, go that's ahead. That's right, Faye. <laughs> That's right, Faye. Lister of Listerine. <laughs> um, anyways, and true sterilization of suture actually wasn't achieved until the early 1900s. And then even later than this, we didn't start using synthetic materials for suture until the mid-1950s to 1960s, and that's when polyester sutures were developed. And most of our most commonly used sutures in obstetrics and gynecology and really in other surgical fields as well have been developed since that time. As we start to move on to suture, it's going to be a lot, again, to review every suture material that's available, but we're going to spend time on the things that we tend to use more routinely, and we'll focus on the suture vocabulary that we use more routinely in obstetrics and gynecology. It's really important to be familiar with vocabulary in order to facilitate comparisons. Faye, what are some of the words we should know before we can get into a good conversation about suture? 
So first we can talk about the type of suture and how they're made. So by that, I mean we can talk about braided or multifilament suture versus monofilament suture. So braided or multifilament suture are usually suture types that are constructed using multiple strands of a material and they're braided together like a rope. Monofilament suture are constructed using a single strand of a material and you can think about this kind of like a wire. We also talk about gauge and this refers to the circumferential thickness of the suture. And the higher the number, the thicker the suture, except when you put a zero after it. So for example, a one monocryl is going to be thicker than a zero monocryl. However, the more zeros there are, the smaller the suture is. So for example, a 4-0 monocryl is going to be thinner than a 2-0 monocryl. Got it. What else do we think about, Nick? So two other words that kind of go along with suture technology is the memory of a suture, um, which is the ability of a suture material to return to its previous shape after deformation. And again, we're going to talk about different types of suture, but if you've ever used like a chromic or a plain gut suture and you've seen like it comes out of the package and it's all like twisted up on itself or a PDS like that, generally monofilament sutures have greater memory than braided sutures. Um, and so you'll see them kind of like tangled up up like they were in the package as opposed to coming out in a nice long strand. The last word that we'll use kind of in this section are barbed sutures. And this is a new surgical technology, and we're not going to talk a lot about them today. Um, but basically, these sutures, as it sounds like, have small barbs in them that allow for more even distribution of tension across a closed wound. Um, these also afford an advantage that knots are not needed for the suture to be held in place. Um, these are rapidly gaining in popularity across surgery, um, but there's, again, very limited but rapidly growing data regarding their use in obstetrics and gynecology. Beyond all of this vocabulary, sutures are then classified by their materials, which generally get divided into two large categories, natural suture or synthetic suture. And then they also get subdivided into absorbable and non-absorbable. So as we go through the rest of the podcast, we're going to start talking about specific sutures and we're going to use those words, either natural versus synthetic and absorbable versus non-absorbable. So Faye, let's start out, I guess, with natural absorbable sutures. There are two types of natural absorbable sutures that we use. One is the natural gut or cat gut, um, which you know I don't really see us using very much anymore, and the other one is chromic gut. Both of these are derived from bovine or sheep intestine. Chromic gut is further tanned with a layer of chromium salt, um, and this is one of the oldest forms of surgical suture that is still in use. These types of sutures are monofilament, um, and the absorption time for these are about 70 days for the plain gut and then 90 days for the chromic. Um, in terms of strength retention, the strength is retained about 7 to 10 days out for a plain gut suture and then 21 to 28 days out for chromic. These types of sutures can be used for soft tissue reapproximation. In OBGYN, these are less commonly used, though chromic may still be seen um, for some uses during C-section and vaginal laceration or episiotomy repair. And sometimes you may see us use them for closing that sub-Q layer, for example, or for tying tubes. The advantages of gut is that it's well studied and chromic gut in particular has a long history of safety in obstetrics, particularly with la vaginal laceration repair. 
The disadvantages is that it's fallen out of favor primarily because as an animal protein, it has unpredictable strength retention and inflammatory reaction. The absorption times are in part due to immune reaction to the suture, and the sutures have also been banned from use in some areas of the world due to concern for contracting bovine spongiform encephalopathy or mad cow disease. Yeah, I wouldn't want mad cow disease from my suture either. <laughs> yeah, so Nick, talk to us a little bit more about then the other type of absorbable suture, the synthetic absorbable sutures. Within the synthetic absorbable sutures, there's a number of them actually. So we'll start off talking about probably the one that we see the most often, um, which is polyglactin suture, um, also known as vicryl or polysorb suture. Um, these are braided sutures um, or multi-filament sutures that have an absorption time of around 56 to 70 days. Their strength retention basically is 50% of the original strength at about 21 days in tissue. Um, and these are also used for soft tissue reapproximation. In obstetrics and gynecology, Vicryl has a wide variety of applications. It's really popular for uterine closure of the hysterotomy, popular for closure of the vaginal cuff, um, is also appropriate for um, fascia and skin closure as well. It's a really, really versatile suture, obviously. It makes it nice for a variety of applications. It's a soft suture as well, and that braided multifilament nature makes it easy to handle. Knot tying is much easier overall and even can be more secure because it is much easier to handle. There are rapid absorbing forms of um, polyglactin suture, which are ideal for things such as vaginal laceration repair while affording the advantage of less tissue inflammation than the natural sutures that we just talked about. However, it's not all rosy in the world of vicryl or polysorb suture. The braided nature makes the suture less advantageous and very thin or fine tissue, um, where that, again, if you think about like a rope sawing through something, it has a lot, a lot of friction as it pulls through the tissue. And so you can end up like causing more damage to that tissue as you pull it through than you would with a monofilament suture. It does have more tissue reactivity than synthetic monofilament sutures and thus may cause more irritation to some areas, particularly on the skin. Um, and then kind of one thing that you hear a lot about with vicryl sutures are that the braided nature, again, because it has multiple strands there, this theoretically gives bacteria more surface area to potentially adhere to the suture and cause an infection. The suture can also increase bacterial harboring by capillary action, where that braided material actually absorbs and holds onto fluid that would serve as a good growth medium for those bacteria. Um, but again, this is a very versatile suture and you can use it in almost anywhere in obstetrics and gynecology. Faye, what's our next suture? So our next synthetic absorbable suture is going to be polyglucaparone. Um, I've had to record that about four times to say, but <laughs> It's known essentially as monocryl. Another type is called glycomer or biosin. So this is a monofilament suture. Its absorption time is about 91 to 119 days and retains 50 to 60% of its strength at seven days. This type of suture is also used for soft tissue reapproximation and again has a wide variety of application in OBGYN. Almost anywhere that you could use vicryl, you could probably also use monocryl with the exception of fascial closure. The advantages is that monofilament uh, makes it very smooth to handle through the tissue, and it doesn't provide the bacteria harboring nature that braided suture does. It also has a pretty long absorption time. 
The disadvantages is that while it takes a long time to absorb monofilament, it does lose its strength very quickly. So it's not ideal for areas with high tension that may need additional strength like the fascia. And handling can be difficult too because the material is smooth and so it can be slippery and knot tying may be more difficult. You may need to tie more knots for this suture to stay in place. And last of all, um, for those of you that have used monocryl, you probably know that it can also break very easily. What about our next synthetic absorbable suture, Nick? Yeah, so the last one that we probably commonly encounter in obstetrics and gynecology is polydioxinone suture, better known as PDS. PDS is a monofilament suture that has an absurdly long absorption time of 182 to 238 days. It also maintains its strength retention to 60% at six weeks um, with size 3.0 and larger PDS, which really in obstetrics and gynecology we're using probably zero PDS for most applications. PDS can be used for pretty much all soft tissue closure, but in obstetrics and gynecology, this is probably most commonly used for fascial closure. It, again, has really good tensile strength and that really long absorption time. So this is ideal for incisions that are under tension, think like the fascia, or with closure of infected wounds. So think about debriding a infected wound and then trying to close that fascia that you may have needed to resect. Also good choice for where you may consider that somebody has weak fascia or fascia that may be prone to infection or breakdown, like your patients who are morbidly obese, your patients that have diabetes. The disadvantages of PDS are that it's a really, really stiff monofilament. Anybody who's handled PDS knows that it feels like fishing line, basically. So handling can be really difficult, and setting square knots can be really, really challenging with the suture. Additionally, as you're trying to get that square knot to set down, because it's monofilament, it can break really easily. Lastly, this suture again has that really long absorption time, so as it's trying to be absorbed, it may extrude through the wound. Um, so you shouldn't use this on superficial layers for things like skin closure, at least at the gauges we use in obstetrics and gynecology. Kind of as we skip to our next category of suture, we think about natural non-absorbable suture, and we don't use a lot of these in obstetrics and gynecology, so we're going to skip over them. But you may encounter silk sutures from time to time which fall into this category. Faye, let's jump to our synthetic non-absorbables. Sure. So there are, again, a multiple number of synthetic non-absorbable sutures, um, but we'll talk about a few that we use in OBGYN. And the first is polypropylene, which is known as proline or surgipro. Uh, this is a monofilament suture, and it can be used for soft tissue reapproximation. In OBGYN, it's not commonly used. Mostly we use materials that are absorbable. That said, we may still see this occasionally as a fascial closure suture, or some may choose to use this type of suture for cerclage. The other types of synthetic non-absorbable suture are nylon sutures, which are probably known as ethylon or the Cavidian brand. There are multiple varieties of nylon suture, um, or polyester sutures such as mersaline or Tycron. Applications for this, they can really be broad. These sutures can be monofilament, they can be braided, so you can choose which one you want. Some people use them for skin closures if you want to remove suture later on, um, but in obstetrics, 
we most commonly use these as a choice for surclage placement. Again, mercelene, I think, is probably the most common choice for this. Nylon may lose some tensile strength over time, while other synthetic non-absorbables like polypropylene or polyester sutures maintain their strength indefinitely. So if you have to choose something based on that type of application, no, that's something that you may want to think about. But again, these are not super commonly used outside of surclage placement. Faye, I think the last thing we want to try and touch on now are needle choices. With regards to the different types of needles, I always have an issue because the scrub tech's asking me like, Dr. Kai, do you want to use a CT or a SH or do you want this on a CT2? And I'm always like, the smaller pointy one. <laughs> um, so, you know, this was definitely some learning for me as well. But essentially we can break down needles into tapered suturing needles as well as cutting suturing needles. So uh, Nick, do you want to take us through tapered suturing needles? Yeah. So tapered needles are rounded needles that have, as the name implies, a tapered end where the point is. Um, these don't have a cutting edge like the other ones that we're going to talk about. Um, so these are ideal for closing soft tissue. So you want a tapered needle for us, really, for closing the uterus, for closing fascia, and other soft tissue below the skin surface. Again, the needle itself does not have that cutting edge, so it's going to separate tissue fibers as opposed to cutting them. Um, so the tissue will end up closing around the needle, which then forms like a leak-proof barrier, if you can think of it that way. Again, rather than making a cut through it, we're sort of poking through it and allowing the tissue to close tightly around the, the uh, suture. There are different diameters of needles, different lengths of needles, and we're not going to talk a lot about those, but there are a couple that I want to mention that we use in obstetrics and gynecology. So you'll hear a lot about CT needles, and it goes from CTX, which is circle taper extra large, to CT1, then CT2, um, which are kind of progressively smaller. You may also hear of an SH needle, which stands for small half circle. Um, and these are oftentimes used to close bowel or tissue layers after breast surgery. You know, we don't use a lot of SHs in obstetrics and gynecology. And then Faye, what about the cutting needles now? So the cutting needles are, as they're stated, these are needles that have a triangular point that contains a cutting edge. So these are sharper needles. They don't have that blunt point like the tapered needles do. These types of needles are usually used for things like closing of the skin, the sub-Q. Sometimes they're also used for ophthalmic and plastic surgery. So other than the conventional cutting needle, a lot of surgeons also prefer to use a subtype of this, which is called the reverse cutting needle. Um, and that is just the difference where the cutting edge is. So the edge of the conventional needle is on the inner curvature of the needle, and then the reverse cutting needle, that cut edge is on the outer curvature. And a lot of us prefer to use that for skin. So some common types that we use um, at our hospital, for example, we use what's called a PS needle, which stands for plastic surgery needle. I just learned that today. Um, and there's also types of sutures called FS. So that stands for foreskin. And you may hear FSLX or um, foreskin extra large or FSL, foreskin large, um, and otherwise other things like FS1, FS2,
All right. So the first thing we talked about was wound healing and we broke it down into four different steps of wound healing. So first of all, there's hemostasis, which is where the platelets come to stick to that injury site. You form a fibrin clot. Um, There's then inflammation where uh, the damage and dead cells get cleared out by the phagocytic white blood cells. You then have a proliferative phase where essentially angiogenesis and collagen deposition will start. You also have re-epithelialization and then wound contraction at this time for additional strength of the wound. And last of all, we have the maturation and remodeling phase where the fine-tuning occurs and the collagen is redistributed among the tensile lines. We know ultimately that wounds only regain about 80% of their tensile strength over time. And so it is really important that we help these wounds close as quickly as possible um, with suture so that wounds don't have poor reapproximation. We talked then uh, going into suture with the history of suture and the fact that it's been around for a long time in some form or another, Um, but that really modern suture or the things that we use most commonly in obstetrics and gynecology occurred by the mid-1950s, 1960s. Um, We went into some suture vocabulary, things that are important to know to converse fluently about suture, including the difference between braided or multi-filament sutures versus monofilament sutures, again, a rope versus a wire the gauge of suture meaning its thickness, the memory of a suture meaning the ability of the material to return to its previous shape after deformation, and we talked a little bit about barb suture. The last things that we talked about and sort of framed our conversation about different types of suture material, we're talking about categories of natural versus synthetic suture, and then absorbable and non-absorbable suture. The first category we delved into was the natural absorbable sutures, which include natural gut or cat gut, as well as chromic gut. So this is the oldest type of suture that there is, um, and chromic gut is just further tan with a layer of chromium salt. These types of sutures are usually monofilament. They have about a 70 to 90 day absorption time with a strength retention of seven to 10 days for plain gut, and then 21 to 28 days for chromic. This is usually used for soft tissue reapproximation in OBGYN, um, and the advantages are that it is very well studied and has a long history of safety in obstetrics. However, it has fallen out of favor primarily because as an animal protein, there are some unpredictability to the strength retention and inflammatory reactions. We then moved on to different types of synthetic absorbable sutures. We first talked about vicryl polysorb or polyglactin suture, which has an absorption time of 56 to 70 days and maintains 50% of its strength at 21 days. Again, this is also excellent for soft tissue reapproximation and really has a wide variety of applications in obstetrics and gynecology. Very, very versatile. Um, Again, the multi-filament nature makes it very easy to handle and has less tissue inflammation than the natural gut sutures. Disadvantages, though, of this type of suture are that, again, that braided nature can make it prone to having more friction and causing more tissue damage as you're throwing the suture. It also has more inflammatory reaction than monofilament sutures overall. And then remember, kind of the most important thing I think about these sutures is that the nature of the braids allows it to absorb fluid and also gives more surface area, potentially causing more infection. We then talked about the next synthetic absorbable suture, which is polyglycaparone, which is monocryl, or glycomer, which is biosin. And these are, again, monofilament sutures that have an absorption time of 91 to 119 days with 50 to 60% strength retention at about seven days. Again, these are used for soft tissue reapproximation and really has a wide variety of use. You can use it basically anywhere that you could use Vicryl with the exception of fascia. 
monofilaments make it so that it is very smooth to handle through the tissue and doesn't have that rough sawing nature of multi-filaments suture. And it also doesn't provide that bacterial harbor um, that braided suture does. The problem is that with these monofilament sutures, they lose their strength very quickly. And so it's not ideal for areas with very high tension and areas that need additional strength like the fascia. It's also harder to tie knots with these sutures because the material is so smooth and also because it can break easily. The last synthetic absorbable suture we talked about was polydioxinone or PDS suture, which are monofilament sutures that have, again, a very long absorption time of 182 to 238 days and also remarkably retain their strength 60% at six weeks for a 3.0 gauge or larger. Again, these can also be used for soft tissue closure, but in OBGYN, we probably use these most commonly for fascial closure, again, because of its particularly good tensile strength and long absorption time. Um, Makes it a great choice for incisions that are under a lot of tension or with the closure of infected wounds. However, this is a very stiff monofilament, can be really difficult to handle and to tie knots, particularly if you need to get good square knots, and can also break easily. Um, You shouldn't close skin with these because the suture itself may extrude out of the wound over time. We then talked about natural non-absorbable sutures, which we don't use very much during OBGYN, but the one main one that you may encounter would be like silk. Um, And these would probably be used for uh, attaching drains, for example, to the skin. The last category were synthetic non-absorbable sutures, and to move through them quickly, we talked about polypropylene suture, known as proline or Surgipro, nylon suture known as ethylon, or polyester sutures known as mersaline or ticron. Again, these can all be used for some sort of soft tissue reapproximation, but these are non-absorbable sutures. So really in obstetrics and gynecology, you're finding people use these probably most commonly as a choice for cerclage placement. And last of all, we talked about needles. So there are two types of needles that we generally use. One is a tapered suturing needle and another is a cutting suturing needle. The tapered suturing needle used tend to be round um, and have a blunt point. And these are usually used for things like soft tissue closure uh, as well as fascial closure. Certain things that you want to know are that The types that we tend to use in OBGYN are titled CT, which stands for circle taper, and also SH, which stands for small half circle. We then spoke about those cutting needles, which again, there's two broad types. The cutting, which means that the cutting edge is on the inside of the needle curvature, or reverse cutting, where the needle cutting edge is on the exterior or outside curvature. We use these primarily for skin closure and subcutaneous tissue closure. Um, Not that we're doing a lot of ophthalmic or plastic surgery, but you'll also see these in there. Um, The most common ones in obstetrics and gynecology we use are the PS needles or plastic surgery needles, the FS type needles, or foreskin needles. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our needle and suture episode. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you liked this episode, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CriogsOverCoff1, on Instagram at CriogsOverCoffee, on Facebook at CriogsOverCoffee. And if you want to give us some love, go on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CriogsOverCoffee. Give us a donation. We'll give you some cool swag or a shout out on the show. You can find notes for this episode, including more information about sutures, needles, and all the other types of materials on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. 
have a correction for the show, or just want to chat with us, go ahead and send us an email, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>